welcome to the Venture 12 podcast. This mini-series is brought to you in collaboration with the Movement Leaders Collective. The word apostle comes from the word apostello, meaning sent one. Sent to pioneer, innovate, build and develop new and transformative initiatives to spread the Kingdom of God. In five episodes, we get to encounter five women serving in apostolic ministry today. Their challenge has been to compellingly present to you five historical female figures and why they should be entered into the Apostolic Hall of Fame. Five contemporary apostles, five historic apostles, 30 minutes per episode. This is the Apostolic Hall of Fame. So welcome, Jesse Cruikshank, to the Venture 12 podcast. So happy to have you back. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. So do you want to tell us whereabouts in the world you find yourself today, Jesse? Sure. Today I am in Denver, Colorado. It has snowed eight inches last night and it took a little bit of work to get into my office. But um, Denver, wow. Colorado is in the Rocky Mountains in the United States and um, I love it. I love it here. Sounds like it's very beautiful where you are at the moment then. Yes, I love the snow. I'm a snow person. So um, you've joined the podcast today because you've taken on the challenge of submitting an apostolic hero to our Apostolic Hall of Fame. Who have you picked to present to us today? Yeah, so one of my most favorite um, apostolics is a gal named Amy, Amy Simple McPherson, and she founded the Foursquare denomination um, here in the United States, but it's had a global impact and it has been a global denomination since 1925. Excited to hear more about her. So the challenge that you've taken on now is to present her story and why you think she's worthy to join the Apostolic Hall of Fame for 10 minutes. All right, I'll do my best to, to be worthy of, of her and her life. Um, but um, Amy Simple uh, was born in Canada, in the Toronto area, and she felt the call um, to be a missionary. She and her husband went and were missionaries in China. He unfortunately died of malaria um, while she they had one um, daughter while they were over there, but um, he died while they were on the mission field. She was very, very sick and was asking God what, you know, why are you doing this to me? You know, the question that we all ask in our struggle and pain. And um, the Lord just let her know that she still had a, a calling on her life. So she eventually you know, moves back home to Canada. She's part of the Salvation Army and um, just feels that burning in her bones of the Holy Spirit to continue moving and, and spreading the word of the gospel. So she gets a car. She has like this car she calls the gospel car. And she starts driving around the continental United States holding tent revivals. And all of these miracles are happening. The Lord does amazing things through her. And she was always super clear that she didn't heal people, but the Holy Spirit did. And phenomenal healings all the time for the entire life of her ministry. So she she does these tent revivals all across the United States. And she ends up, um, she had uh, gotten remarried, um, had a child, Rolf. Roberta was the first child um, with her husband, Simple. 
um, Robert Semple. And then um, she has a child, Rolf, um, with her husband, uh, Mr. McPherson. He ended up divorcing her because he didn't want to be part of her life uh, traveling around the United States. So she's lost one husband. She's divorced by um, her second husband. And she ends up landing in L.A. and, and building um, a church there, building a physical building of a church. It's called Angelus Temple in Echo Park. And Echo Park was the center of the railway system. So all of the the trolley cars and everything going to Hollywood, it's right next to Hollywood. And um, this was in the, the 1920s, the early, early 1920s. She she builds this this church and she the the legend is that she dug a hole like it's just she got a shovel out she dug a hole and said okay god you gotta you know fill fill the hole fill the hole with the church and and it happened um she also purchased a radio station so this is before women could vote in the united states she bought a radio station and it was the largest or the most powerful radio station in the United States. So it could broadcast from LA and you could get it in on the on the um East Coast. And they had like the four square gospel hour and saying and she just she ended up having a congregation of 40,000 members in the 20s. So 1920s, she is running seven services on a weekend. Um, the hospitals are bringing all of the individuals who are in hospital, like on the trolleys to her. She's praying for them. Many, many, many are getting healed. Um, yeah, congregation of 40,000. And she was more famous in the 20s. They say she was more famous than Cary Grant. And in the 30s, then, so the Great Depression hits, and she just, with the same posture and the same attitude, just feeds most of LA County through soup kitchens and food pantries and that kind of dynamic. Um, she also, at the same time that she's got um, her Angeles Temple congregation and this radio station, like every mega church pastor or every, you know, <laughs> evangelical, like who's on TV is really just doing what she did. She was the first to do it. Um, so they're all just trying to be like her. And she was short, like five, two redhead, fiery personality. Um, and in the night in 1923, so hundred years ago, she opened a Bible college in out of Angeles Temple and the Bible college educated, theologically educated women and minorities, which is who was not allowed in seminary. So seminaries have existed in the United States since the 1600s, but they're only well, it was only landed white males, and then it just became, you know, white males. And you didn't have you didn't have interracial education. I mean, that's why at the Azusa uh, Street Revival that happens. It's a it's an integrated experience, and then immediately becomes segregated, and you end up with um, the Church of God in Christ, and, and so you end up with Pentecostal denominations splitting along racial lines because integration was illegal. Well, she's in, so she's educating women and. Um, people of other ethnicities in 1923. And she sends out the first graduating class in 1925, and they are from all over the world, and they go back all over the world. And so the church in Sri Lanka, the Foursquare Church in Sri Lanka, started in 1925 from that very first graduating class. So she sends people out. They, they go out all over the world, all over the United States. She wasn't starting a new denomination 
Um, she was just educating people to spread the good news. And four square means that it's um, balanced, like four square meals, that, that kind of saying. But this is a four square gospel. It's a balanced and holistic gospel. So it was just a perspective. And you could be a Methodist minister and, and four square. You could be you could be whatever your denomination was. So she um, was dedicated to interdenominational and worldwide evangelism. That's on that's the inscription on the corner of Angelus Temple, dedicated to the purpose of interdenominational and worldwide evangelism. And that's just been the ethos ever since. Started by her in this time, um, she had an amazing life that was also full of scandal. She disappeared for three months. Don't know if she got burned out, ran away. She said she got kidnapped. It, they like made a play of it. Like, like she she lived a very interesting life. She also got married a third time. That lasted three months. He was a gold digger. He took half of her money. Um, and so while she's impacting the world, while the paparazzi started, because she had so many healings that they followed her, the, the Hollywood press followed her to see what miracles happened. That's where the origins of the paparazzi is as well. So she started things both good and things that we don't really like today um, happened because of her. But she was an amazing female that the Lord, apostolic, that the Lord moved through um, despite her humanity or her humanity didn't disqualify her from that. And, um, you know, there's some people who call her one of the generals of the faith. But what I look at uh, when I see her, what I what I see and what motivates me is that she had a very real life of all of the struggles of a woman in ministry, single mom with children, owning property, like people looking to her for answers, always being scrutinized way more than um, than other people were, people trying to take advantage of her, treating her as weak, even though she was amazing and brilliant. And it's just the complexity of her life. And and she she walked through it some, some way she did well and some way she didn't. But the Lord's anointing and the way the Lord used her has impacted the planet, has impacted impacted the whole globe since the very beginning. And before women had even, you know, rights or the ability to own property, actually. She owned property before women could. So I'm just completely fascinated by the reality, the good, the bad, the ugly, the reality of her. And I want to submit her to the Apostolic Hall of Fame is because she was a she was the first in something that so many try to emulate without even knowing that they are. So I think I think starting the Bible college that educates women and minorities and being that kind of egalitarian from the beginning and balanced and holistic is a model that um yeah, that I wanna that I wanna walk in, model I wanna follow. Wow, what a great entry to the Apostolic Hall of Fame. Amazing lady. Lots of things there that I didn't know about her and lots of things to look up to and be excited by in terms of the apostolic gifting that's obviously there in the history of the church, but that we sometimes um, don't see um, amongst lots of lots of women out there. So you said something about what, what inspires you um, with this with this lady is there how do you relate to her ministry or is there anything that you can see in your own ministry that um specifically inspires you to live into the calling that you have and as an apostolic woman yeah the, the way i think about amy is that if god could use her then maybe god could use me 
And, you know, there are struggles that you face as um, a female apostolic. It's still not an accepted or normalized gifting. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the added difficulty of being a single mom hauling my kids across the United States doing 10 revivals. I don't have the added difficulty of not being able to vote or not be able to own property. And so I'm inspired by what she persevered through because mm-hmm. it helps me not feel sorry for myself, if that yeah. makes sense. Because and and I feel like I'm able to do and live as well into my calling as I am, you know, even with the the barriers that we still face, but because of women like her and and you know, apostolics are always plowing ground and pioneering, and she did. So yeah. definitely stand on her shoulders and what she was able to do. Yeah, lots of challenges faced by women in her time that we don't have today, but I suspect that some of the challenges they had still remain today. Are there any particular ones that you can see through her life that you would recognize in your own journey through your ministry and in your calling? Yeah, I think sometimes there's a temptation to, in in order to, when you don't have rights or you don't have recognition, you end up making partnerships, I feel like, or it can be easy to make partnerships and you and you end up doing this thing where you're living through others. And and I've done that a couple of times in, in my life where I didn't feel like I could accomplish the calling in my heart. So at least I can use my gifts to help somebody else. And, but their calling wasn't my calling. And so I was trying to live my life through them. And that's, that's less than what Jesus has called me to. I think that dynamic I see in her happened with her, her third husband, mm-hmm. you know, the ways that, that people would override her, take advantage of her and um, just trying to keep that, that paradigm that women have to be in the second seat mm-hmm. instead of in the leader seat, like, like that God would never do that. She obviously faced that. And I, there didn't been different pockets where I've, I've agreed to that or, or done that. And I guess I'm not, what I'm not trying to say is that sometimes I think the Lord puts, has a service season in a second, in a second chair. And there's, there's good that can come from that and shaping and refining. But if he calls you to a first chair, then you have to, you have to step up to that. And, and I see that Amy had a, uh, she kind of waffled from, from taking on that mantle and stepping into that to, you know, being told that she's doing it wrong and and taking a back seat um, in her own ministry, and and so she just she she went back and forth in her life um, in that dynamic. So I can kind of relate to that a little bit as well. Um, also, just the idea that sometimes people will look at you and think that you don't know what you're doing because it's pioneering, mm-hmm. and they and it's so out of the box they just don't know how to follow it, and so they're going to try to talk you out of it or or shape it or, or just dismiss you. And and that happened to her a lot, but fortunately for her, the Holy Spirit really marked her ministry in a very powerful way and she would not be ignored. Mm. So, What has God called you to as an apostolic leader, perhaps in the time that you're in now or historically, do you want to share anything about the kind of calling that God has got on your life? Yeah. So the calling on my life, it's one I'm still trying to, I'm still discovering. I thought it was one thing and it keeps kind of, the assignment keeps changing. And so for me, the calling, what I've learned is to see it as bigger than the exact assignment. 
Um, and that's been a learning process. And so for me, it's been to really pioneer um, new spaces. The Lord often sends me out into places that there's nobody doing work. Um, I don't know there's nobody doing work. It's not like I look around and say, well, where is nobody? And let me go there. Instead, I get like this idea, this passion in my heart, and I just start working on it and then realize, oh, nobody's done this before, or there's very few that have have done this before. So my husband likes to describe that, um, you know, I, I climb a mountain range, I go to a new valley, I start to work and pioneer that valley and prepare a place for other people to come in. And so it's been... I've pioneered and started a few different ministries. I stay there as long as the Lord tells me to. Um, sometimes he moves me later than I want. And sometimes he moves me earlier than I want. Doesn't seem to really matter what I want, mm-hmm. but I have to be obedient. And so I would say my calling is to pioneer whatever the Lord burns in my heart and just be faithful to to the passions that he gives me mm-hmm. and build a place. Then, then the work of that is to build a place where others can join me. And then they end up carrying on the work. So, yeah, and sometimes how, it's lonely. Yeah. How do you, I was going to ask you about that. Do you often find that God calls you together with other people or will you? are you usually the first person out and then pe- God will send you other people to be team with you eventually? Or how has that worked for you? It's been both. It's never been a big team though. So some, in some instances it's been solo and in other instances they've been up to two or three or four. Um, and maybe God's burning it in their own heart and then we, we find each other. So, mm-hmm. um, it's been a little of both. I would say a little bit, fortunately, and maybe it's because I won't really go unless I have other people bravery of obedience to just be all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm there yet. Um, but yeah, two or three, usually we can, we can get things started. And where do you find that it's most challenging to be a female apostolic leader? What kind of spaces do you find yourself in that challenges you in, in that kind of perspective the most? I think the archetype of a apostolic in our, in our imaginations <clears throat> is very male uh characteristics it's powerful it's dominating it's commanding um and or it's um you know sometimes the language is inseminating right i'm gonna inseminate an idea and and there's like this impartation but it doesn't usually have a nurturing cultivating pregnancy you know feeding it off of your own body kind of kind of way it it can land in more transactional language rather than transformational incarnational language and so for me being i i i endeavor to be an incarnational leader i may not bring some of the power dynamics that people expect out of an apostolic so the apostolic will be missed and they'll hear the prophetic in my voice or other parts of APAS that I have, and they'll miss the apostolic version because they're looking for someone to just delegate ideas. Now, I have tons of ideas, and I know how to be a powerful presence, but I choose not to manifest that when I'm pioneering a thing. Um, I want to do that collaboratively and incarnationally, and so I control my power 
as they say in boxing and MMA, which I did do. So you control your power and you manage it, that power personality, so that you don't overrun people or take them out or burn them out and, and that sort of thing. So I think not fitting the male archetype. I've definitely had people say when I present myself as apostolic, they're like, well, what churches have you planted? Where's your church? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not a senior pastor. I've, I've built ministries. I build things. Mm. I build things for other people to belong to. And that can be, yeah. So some people won't agree that I'm apostolic because I don't have a church that I founded and I'm leading. Mm. So being misunderstood is part of the journey often for for apostolic leaders in, in general. Uh, what would you say, so if somebody was exploring whether they were apostolic in their in their calling or in their gifting what would you say are like the telltale signs of somebody who is apostolic so they can recognize it perhaps in themselves if if it doesn't get recognized by other people yeah well i would say what what helped me discover it was alan hirsch's permanent revolution the book he wrote permanent revolution it was the first time that i read something i'm like oh my gosh that's how i think and so I'd say, go look at that. And the things that stood out to me was that I think like an architect, I think about what things happen in which order and how to do them well, so that they have the greatest good, so that they scale, so that they multiply, so that they can um, meet the needs of the most number of people. And so I'm always thinking in terms of like schema, system, strategy, architecture, a little bit of engineering in that in that in my mind. And so I want to build things that outlast me. I want to build things I don't have to manage. I want to build things that change eternity. Um I'm not interested in legacy on the earth. I'm I'm interested in legacy in heaven. And that's very very different than the structures that you would build to have legacy on earth. So that's the way I think and Alan Hirsch helped me discover that. So I'm very indebted to him mm -hmm. for that for that discovery of me and what kind of support do you need as an apostolic leader to thrive and to live into that very special calling that god has given you um i would say i need i mean i think we all need good friends friends that they may not understand what we're doing and they may not be called to be part of it but they are called to cheer and champion um i have i have friends who I'm always, I'm always building a new thing. And I'm like, Hey, you want to do this? And they're like, no, that's not for me, but I love that you're doing it. And, um, and then I don't feel alone, even if I'm, if, even if I'm building the thing by myself. Mm -hmm. So to feel understood and seen and appreciated without having to worry that other people are going to feel overwhelmed by that. Um, that's one thing I need. The other thing I need is a space to play. So I need some experimental space, whether that's time, margin, conversation partner, partners. I need, I need something that's sparking me and innovate, you know, bringing up innovation and the different ideas clashing across each other. So I can see the patterns that connect them. So yeah, it's like a creative space, like mm -hmm. a studio only for my soul. Yeah. That sounds like an amazing place. I want to come to that space as well. <laughs> So as you um, explore your calling and build your uh, ministry and perhaps encounter other apostolic people, what, what do you see as some of the common challenges that we face as 
ecclesias, church today? What are the opportunities and signs of hope? I always think that there's so much hope, but I'm belligerently optimistic. Um, I think one thing is I've worked with churches around fivefold ministry and APEST. I find that there are women with apostolic gifting, but they're not usually serving in any kind of role that sees that. And when they take the assessments and they discover that, that is actually very usually a very negative reaction in their heart because it's a way that they're not seen, a way that they're not utilized. Um, so the fivefold conversation being much more active in the body of Christ and, and really being part of integrated in the conversation, I think gives us the ability to help see women as apostolics and and support them in that. Um, there's there's a bit of learning we still have to do there, but at least we can have a conversation. I think that's amazing. We didn't have this conversation 10 years ago mm-hmm. at all. Um, and so I love that. That gives me hope. It gives me hope that we can we can figure out how to support each other. I also see that um, women are uh, the the posture towards women is changing rather rapidly, and I didn't know if I'd see that in my lifetime. Um, and I'm excited. I'm excited that we do that. So we get to learn how to support one another in this space. We get to learn how to be brothers and sisters with different callings and different giftings. And um, I think I think we're re- obviously we're ready for it. And that makes me that makes me very hopeful. And you've got some exciting things coming up this spring as well. You've got a book coming up, uh, coming out in in May. You shared before the call. Uh, do you want to tell us what you're excited about in terms of the work that you're doing right now? Yeah. So the ministry that I started, all by like I have I have partners and stuff like that. But the ministry that I started is called Whoology, and it's around helping churches and faith communities be disciple making communities. So um, the first of a few projects that we're releasing is a book called Ordinary Discipleship, and it's written to the everyday believer to help them see how God has created them to be a disciple maker and to answer that call just as they are with all their strengths and weaknesses, and that you don't have to be a superstar. You just have to share what Jesus in heaven has taught you, no more and no less. So that's what I believe that we're accountable to. So it's coaching in the relational dynamic of being a disciple maker written to the everyday, the everyday believer and how to help them walk alongside somebody else on that journey. So there's an online class that goes with it as well. The book comes out May 9th. And like I said, it's the first of a few projects to just help equip the church to have disciple making community using the Bible. And then my other love, which is neuroscience. So there's little nerd neuroscience stuff in there. Um, So how God created us to learn and change and be with one another, and then the theology that goes alongside that. So those are some of the different things that I bring to the table Mm. um, that I'm leaning into my story and my gifting. That is so good. And uh, you can pre-order your book already on your website as well, which we will put a link to in the description of this of this podcast as well so very exciting there you have it a historical leader added to the apostolic hall of fame and an apostolic voice from today thank you so much jesse crookshank for coming on the venture 12 podcast today oh, thank you emma it's always good to be with you dear this was the apostolic hall of fame with the venture 12 podcast in collaboration with the movement leaders collective Five contemporary apostles, five historic apostles. 
to enter the poll and have your say on which historical figure is the most deserving of entering the Apostolic Hall of Fame, see the podcast description below. If you like this mini-series and would like to hear more like it, let us know by liking and subscribing and by engaging with us on our social media. This is Emma Cottrell for the Venture 12 podcast. Thanks for listening.